One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. that loaf around and said, I'm slightly half-hearted, and anybody will part of it, and he just went, yeah, I'll get a knife. <laughs> <laughs> She's just got to get the knife. Oh, that's very funny. <clears throat> now, hello, hello, and welcome to Thursday's edition of Off Air. We've got to get a wiggle on because you've got to go somewhere. Well, I've got a, a school function. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to try and hot-foot it. I'm going to put on my different identity. Yes. What's that? Professional working mum. Concerned and thoughtful parent. Oh, concerned and thoughtful. Look at my face. (laughs) I'm doing that. Are you, when you go to an event like that, do you you ask questions? No. No, I never do. No, because uh, my children would always be embarrassed if I did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's always someone who asks the question that I wanted answered mm. and all the ones I hadn't thought to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I leave it to more qualified parents than myself, Jane. No, but weirdly, I, you wouldn't think this would true. I don't particularly like... Speaking at something like that would not be for me. That's but, so weird. Yeah, well, do, do you mean that you can only ask relevant questions... Uh, if you're on the clock. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. It's very kind of you to say my questions are relevant. So. <laughs> I don't think they are always. Right, uh, we should say that we've got a bonus podcast, haven't we, this week, because it's Book Club Week. It is. So thank you for all of your incredibly thoughtful and really spot on and very funny observations on My Sister the Serial Killer, uh, book number two in Book Club. Uh, written by Ayinka Braithwaite and our podcast special includes an interview with her. Which I think massively uh, improves the whole idea of our book club. Oh, it certainly does. Because how many book clubs would you go to where you can actually then talk to the author? Exactly. And it also means that we won't be able to have books, for example, by Charles Dickens. Because <laughs> he's very not true. available. And thank God for that. Very true. Yeah. So we are taking suggestions for the next book club podcast. Uh, so please do... Get in touch if you have an idea. Jane and Fee at times.radio. I think we're looking just for something enjoyable. Shall we say a romance? Oh, a romance. Possibly even a steamy rope. No, I've gone too far. You want not. A, you want a sexy romance? Not The Musses by E.L. James. Okay, <laughs> that's banned. But you can that's think not, of others. Let's not go back to no, that. No, okay, let's not. So right. you want a rompathon? No, but Interesting. It, we've, had, we've had one about a serial killer. We've had, let's be honest... Uh, <laughs> Quite a depressing <laughs> French novel about a graveyard. <laughs> I love that. Yes, book. I know. It was all life affirming and all the other Well, no, it wasn't life affirming. Uh, it was just real. Okay. Let's forget real yeah. and forget affirming. Let's read about sex. Firm buttocks. That's what we want. So we'll Jane do. would like a romp. No, it's just an idea. Okay. It doesn't have to be that. Okay. <laughs> 
Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Our big guest today is Michel Roux. Uh, we spent a long time talking about juniors yesterday, and he isn't a junior anymore. <laughs> He's not <laughs> a junior. turned out. But if you stay till the end of the interview, he explains why he was a junior, which was not the answer I was expecting. It's quite interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But also, it's just really mundane. And also mundane. <laughs> Like so much of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, so he was great. We really enjoyed meeting him. He was a very, very nice man. He was very easy to talk to, and we really, really love his book. Now, do you have any emails? Oh, look, Eve's brought in half your loaf of bread. Does Thank everybody realise that it is uh, September, celebrate sourdough month? It's sourdough, September. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know, but we did have an item on it. I don't know why so Eve's... Why has Eve come in during the podcast? She knows that she just wants to be mentioned in it, doesn't she? She does, and she wants to be mentioned for the fact that she's wrapped up half a sourdough uh, in a copy of the times like she's kind of from the 1940s (laughs) and she's plonked it down on the desk does she realize how manhandled that loaf is because i was squashing well yeah but i did say to her you can have the bit that i haven't fondled and she took the other end just, I'm bewildered by that, but yeah. We have had an email about juniors, seniors and juniors. Uh, this is from Jane. Uh, I think many families in the US do what my friend's family do um, when it comes to naming convention. They alternate middle names each generation and junior, third or fourth only apply if a predecessor with the same name is still alive at the time of their birth. So let me explain, she says. We start with John Richard Bloggs, Man 1. Man 1's son is named John Stephen Bloggs. He is Man 2. John Stephen Bloggs has a son, Man 3, who he calls John Richard Bloggs after his grandfather. If the first J.R. Bloggs is still alive at the time of the baby's birth, the baby is then named John Richard Bloggs Jr. If he isn't, it's just John Richard Bloggs. And so it goes on with the next generation son being named J.S. Bloggs. The same rule applies if, as in this case, he's named after his grandfather who's still alive. You okay. lost me at the first... It's quite clear. And What's I'm it? very grateful to Jane for that. OK. Uh, could I borrow one of your emails? Because I've thrown mine away. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, then you've crossed everything out. No, I've highlighted it. <laughs> That's OK, Kate, is that highlighted? That's crossed out. OK, I was in a hurry come on get on you're the one who's got to go somewhere okay am i doing all of this yes okay uh, this one comes from profuse apologies elizabeth uh, hello both in many ways i can't believe i'm writing this email but as i'm often want to say to my younger siblings we're here now my dad was a languages student at queen mary's college london back in the mid 80s long story short he gets to the end of his degree course and realized he hadn't learned russian to quite the extent he needed for his final year exams. Picture the scene. It's April 1986. He goes to a bar in St. Petersburg. Spoiler alert, the very city my mother's from. And the facts remain murky. He takes my mother back to his Leningrad hotel room in order to seduce her. They frequently, sorry, they subsequently spend a couple of weeks hanging... probably frequently, let's face it. (laughs) Go on. Intersperse those words. Uh, Spend a couple of weeks hanging out before my dad returns to East London. Six weeks later, my mother calls him up to tell him she's pregnant. Hmm? I, by turns, refer to myself as the world's longest one-night stand and a visa baby. I'm okay with both, but if Fee was in a two-star hotel in Leningrad in the mid-1980s, all I can do is apologise on behalf of my naive father and my calculating mother. The end result of this phone call is my dad flying back to Russia to marry my mother. Oh, my God. There's then quite a stressful turn of events. 
because the previous lot have been not stressful at all, <laughs> relating to how my mum wasn't allowed out of Russia until the day after we got out of hospital, and miraculously it went from you're pregnant, we can't give you a visa every week, to you have a baby and we can register her name, so here is your visa. To this day, my mother flies back home carrying the Russian passport in which I was first stamped. I started this email very much in a tongue-in-cheek way, given the vague possibility of Fee being in the same hotel as my irresponsible parents. In reality, as I type, it's actually been quite hard work dealing with an English family who think my mother used my dad and a Russian mother who feels like she was lured here under false pretenses. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? Oh, my word. But anyway, you weren't in that hotel. I don't think so. You didn't hear any of that. I don't think so. No. No. But we all have to start somewhere. Yes, and I I mean, if that was what I overheard, I mean, the chances are slim, uh, then you gave it some welly. (laughs) Well... Her parents gave it some money. Um, thank you for sharing us the story of how you came to be. That is quite a tale, isn't it? It is. But how sad, actually, that there's been a kind of backlog of yeah. prejudice, actually. It, it sounds, yes, it, that sounds horrible. Yeah. The whole thing sounds a little complicated. Very complicated. Brave and, of you to tell us, and yeah. we thank you for that. Um, but, you know, um, these sorts of relationships happen. Let's let's be honest. Okay. Um, dear Jane and Fee, I'm a former primary school teacher, now liberated. I taught a Lucifer. Now, this is on the back <laughs> of the item I did yesterday from the newspapers. This is on the radio show. I don't think it was on the podcast. Uh, a woman in Australia had tried to test Australia's rules on names you can give your kids. And she chose methamphetamine rules, thinking there's no way that allow her little baby son, who is the most gorgeous baby, to be called methamphetamine rules. But the authorities in Australia saw nothing wrong with it. And that's now the lad's name. She does say she is going to change it. I said I thought some names were banned in this country. And I did think that Lucifer was one of them. And I was with you on that. Yeah, but Claire says, well, she could be just joking. I can confirm I taught her Lucifer. Suffice to say... This was the year that put the nail in my teaching coffin. Maybe she's just joking. I don't know. Uh, We should look it up or maybe we can do an interesting feature about it. I don't know what names are banned if Lucifer's not. No, I did think it was banned, I must admit. Um, And briefly, because we do have to get on to our guest, uh, Michelle Rue, who um, is a very companionable chap, so you'll enjoy him. It's from Sarah. You often mention what it would be like to listen in to conversations of two educated, 50-ish, well-to-do men. I did just that, she says. I was working for the London Stock Exchange at the time and got into a lift which already had two male occupants who I didn't know. They weren't talking until one turned to the other and said, you'd be very surprised what Margaret can do with soft fruits. Nothing else was said and I got out at the next floor. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. Oh, it's the start of a very good novel, that conversation, yes. isn't it? Well, we've got a couple of good emails that would start novels. Let's face it, the Russian one would as well. And actually, I just want to do one more. Uh, I mentioned that Hugh Grant was at the state banquet that the French very kindly put on for our king and queen because they don't get to eat much at home. So it was lovely of the French to look after them and put on a fine display. And I did point out yesterday that Hugh Grant had been invited to the state banquet at Versailles. Uh, Vicky says, I think I know why Hugh Grant was there last night. He has a house in Provence. I've spent a few summers in that neighbourhood and I went to the market there on a Friday morning in my Provençal frock and floppy hat and basket, hoping to spot Hugh. I didn't, but I did buy some beautiful crockery. Well, listen, crockery will last longer than a memory of Hugh Grant. Exactly. Based yeah. on his track record, you're far better off with your crockery. Thank you very much, Vicky. Cool.
Good Lord. Uh, right, so shall we head into Michel Roux territory yes, then? Yes, let's do that. Let's do it. Uh, Michel Roux used to go foraging with his dad, Albert, and his mum, Monique, of a weekend as a kid in Kent. And the fields and hedgerows gave them chestnuts, mushrooms and snails. I've gone all lyrical here, Jane. Mm. There's a, Sorry, I've just been completely very transported. Very Carry on. Sincere. Um, mm. Worse. Theirs is a family dedicated to good food. Albert and his brother Michel Senior opened Le Gavroche in 1967, an institution in the food world of London. The first to ever get three Michelin stars, but now its doors are to close at the beginning of next year. And we do talk to Michel about that in a moment. Uh, but he remains terrifically busy, as well as judging the television shows that he often does. He's got a new cookbook out called At Home. So we started by asking him, what will he cook for dinner tonight? My wife's cooking tonight, so I, that I don't know. That is a Actually, cop out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seeing as it's um, yeah piddling down with rain, uh, it'll probably be a soup, actually, a lovely, hearty, warm soup, which my wife uh, does very well, actually. Well, I mean, absolute props to you for mentioning your wife's good cooking too. Uh, but what are you like in the kitchen at home? Are you a little bit territorial? Yes, very much so. Um, normally, I, I always do the cooking at home. I'm in charge. I'm the chef, after all. She, she married me for my cooking skills, not my good looks. <laughs> At least I hope. She married you for both. <laughs> well that, said, Jane. Quick <laughs> I was looking at you. Yeah, well, I? you had no choice. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I do. I, I, I love cooking, and I never tire from cooking. And uh, yeah, I, I do cook at home normally. But tonight, I think, I think Mrs. Rue is making a soup. Uh, we'll come on to talk more about all of the lovely recipes in the book in a couple of moments' time. Um, but I think it came as a shock to quite a lot of people mm. that you were going to close Le Gavroche. I suppose there's an assumption that with something that famous and that mm. established, it would just go on forever and ever, even if you weren't at the helm of it. Yes, indeed. I mean, um, uh, like you said, it was opened in 67, so it's been around a, a while. It's a part of history. Uh, Le Gavroche means so much to so many people, including myself. Um, it, it's, it's been my life uh, and uh, I would never ever want Le Gavroche uh, to belong to someone else if that kind of makes sense um, because I wouldn't want to sell part of my life so I could very well and I've, I've had offers to, to, to sell up and to um, to let other people run it for me but but no uh, I, I don't think it's right I think it's right for me to go out whilst I'm you know still at the top, I suppose, and uh, and everybody's really enjoying working there and, and dining there, and then just to call it a day. Mm. How much of the decision has been influenced, though, by the kind of changing world of running a restaurant? I mean, I know that you've made some comments before mm. about how difficult Brexit has made it to get staff and to keep a supply chain going. Mm. Is that part of the decision too? Uh, honestly, No. Um, I mean, Brexit has definitely put a spanner in the works and it's certainly not helped uh, anyone uh, in the hospitality industry, but not just the hospitality industry, to be fair. I mean, the care industry, uh, you, you name it. I mean, it, it's it's certainly uh, very much hindering um, good business and, and life in general. But um, that is not the reason why I am closing the restaurant. It, the, the reason why I'm closing the restaurant is is many, many reasons that, uh, that have aligned, um, including the lease coming to an end. Um, I'm not having any problems with the landlord, quite on the contrary. Uh, but um, it, it's just one of those 
many little things that have come along for me to say, OK, it's time. I mean, including me being 63 years old. So, you know, I'm thinking I need to spend a little bit more time with Mrs. Rue and enjoy her lovely cooking. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, um, helping my daughter and son-in-law. They've opened up their restaurant in Notting Hill um, and, uh, and look after and do a bit of babysitting, look after my grandchildren. Mm. How many nights would you have been in the restaurant? Uh, anyway. I'm there every night. I mean, practically every night. Uh, Until I, what time? Give us an idea of your working day. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm I'm up in the morning at seven o'clock. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very rarely do I put an alarm clock on because I'm, I'm awake before the alarm. Um, and I, I do a lot of... Uh, a lot of daily work, and then I hit the restaurant, and I'm in the restaurant until oh, 10-ish, 11-ish, so, and, until the last orders come in. Wow. So when we see you on a TV show, that's just the day part of oh, your yeah. job, and you're going on to cook. Yeah, absolutely. Evening. I mean, very often after TV work, I will go back into work. What are you going to do when the restaurant <laughs> shuts of an evening? And does Mrs. Rue want you there every yeah, night? That's the puzzle. <laughs> that's my worry. No, 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 no. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, we actually got on very well during lockdown. <laughs> Phew. But it is going to be a huge change for you, isn't it? Yes, it will. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am still a very, very busy person. Uh, but, but taking out the restaurant um, will free up a lot of time and especially evenings as well. Um, so, yeah, I'll be able to maybe um, go and watch a bit of rugby down at uh, the Stoop and cheer on the Harlequins or go and uh, go to my local team, Manchester United at Old Trafford. Oh, <laughs> I, was quite, I was quite warming to you, but no, I've completely <laughs> gone off. Who goes to La Gavroche? I mean, is it people... There must be some people who save up and it's the big moment of yeah. the decade and you probably get your celebrity regulars. And London is a place where there are always going to be very rich people. Yeah. They just are. I mean, we just yeah. we accept that. And sometimes it takes your breath away walking around parts of London um, because mm. I see other parts of Britain and then I see Mayfair and Knightsbridge yeah. and it's astonishing. But the menu exceptionnel mm. is over 400 quid. Uh, no, that's for two people. Well, it's, it depends if you have the... the, uh, the the wine flight with it, yes. So it is, it is, oh, by, by absolutely 100%, it is not cheap. Uh, and quite rightly, like you say, there are mm. people who will save up um, for, for years and years and years for that very, very special um, occasion. Um, and there are other people who almost treat it like their canteen. London is a bubble. It, it mm. certainly is. And, and, and there is a lot of money that, that comes through London. Uh, and, uh, and we should not um, poo-poo that, quite on the contrary, because I think... UK PLC needs a bit of money. Uh, and so the more foreigners that come in or the more people that, that actually spend money, the better. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at it. Like, obviously, I looked at the menu exceptionnel uh, mm. just because I thought, which of <laughs> each of these courses do I fancy? And look, it all looked delicious. But the sommelier, if you pay the big price, will mm. give you a different glass of wine with every course. Mm. I mean, I'd just be beside myself, Michelle. I mean, how, <laughs> how do people honestly navigate that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and we're quite generous with our poor as well. So, yeah. I mean, it is, yes. And some people do roll out, but other people will say, well, I'll have a little brandy at the end as well. So, you know, it, it, it depends on how much mm. you, you can drink, really. Tom Kerridge said something quite interesting last week because he was getting a little bit of flack for mm. serving his Sunday roast at £175, but he revealed that actually the profit on that is 17 quid. Yeah. Is it the same kind of thing for you? 
Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, I, I know Tom gets a lot of flack for that, and uh, uh, but but it's um, and I get the occasional bit of flack too. Thanks, Tom, for taking most of it. But, <laughs> but it's um, it is that it, it is incredibly difficult. The margins are very very slim. I mean, if you take off you know your VAT and then your your cost of rent and, and rent and rates, uh, which is another bugbear. Um, and energy costs, and, and some restaurants uh, or some bills, energy bills have trebled. I mean, trebled. How can we? How can we work like that? Um, and uh, and then you know, and it just goes on. Food inflation is still in double digits, and in my view, will carry on being in double digits for a long time. So it it is very very difficult. We do seem to have quite a polarised palette in this country at the moment and polarised plates, actually, because on the one hand, we've got people who have no choice but to eat very, very cheap food. We're learning more about the damage than that 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 can do, particularly to kids. And then at the other end, we do have an unbelievably high end level of cooking and eating. Do you think that that is a necessarily bad thing? And do you think that it will change? Well, I suppose you're always going to have those 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 two ends, um, but but it's it's making sure that the the bottom end actually do get wholesome food and can afford food. I mean, we, we hear horror stories about making the choice between warming or heating up the the, the living space uh, and feeding themselves and, and that is just simply not acceptable uh, in our you know in our generation our age um, and in fact it's it's shameful criminal do you think that there's more that the restaurant industry could contribute to that um, gosh, in what, in what way? Well, I, mean, I know that lots of restaurants do really help out with food banks and they really yeah. help out with schools mm. and they provide, an, you know, quite a circular kind of food yeah. economy. But they're doing that out of the goodness of their hearts, Absolutely. aren't they? There, there is no kind of, as far as I know, mm. a government incentive that helps them to do that and possibly yeah. that's something that could happen one day. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I've never really thought of it that way. I mean, there are many charities um, uh, out there like the Felix Project and, uh, and, and such like. And uh, uh, whenever we close down, um, we if we have any fresh uh, goods that need to be shifted, then we will go to the food banks. And, well, not the food banks, but the Felix Project for one, because they take fresh food. Uh, a lot of food banks don't actually take fresh food. They will only take dried or uh, tins. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, any kind of initiative like that should be looked at for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the wonderful recipes in your book. Would you like to pick a number somewhere between <laughs> one and 150? And we will find the recipe and we will chat about it. Go for it. By the way, you can't do, what did you choose? Oh, the onion, creamy onion tagliatelle. Yeah, I don't think you can have Which I would, I would like, Michelle, to come round to my home and make that for me one <laughs> evening and I will eat, I don't know, enough for four. I'll probably be able to eat. Can I just briefly mention a lovely email we've had from a listener called Sarah who says that she met you on Honeymoon. Oh, her honeymoon in, in <laughs> Mauritius uh, you were the consultant chef at the restaurant in the hotel that mm. Sarah went to during the day sunbathing by the pool my new husband and I were entranced by a little French girl called Emily playing oh, in the pool yeah. we were newly wed and romantically planning our future lives we determined that we too would have a little girl and call her Emily Back home, the spare room became Emily's room. And two years later, in 1999, we did have our own Emily. Brave, bonkers and beautiful, she's now 23. 
<laughs> and travelling in Australia. Emily, you won't be listening, but I hope you're safe and having a fantastic time. It's only in recent years that we realise that Michelle's daughter is that Emily, yeah. the one we saw in Mauritius. Oh, lovely. That's, That's a nice little story, What a lovely, lovely story. Isn't that story. amazing? Yeah. Uh, pick a number then, please. Uh, let's go for 78. 78. Here we go. Like this is bingo, where we need some it? sound effects. <laughs> <don't> <laughs> bingo. Yeah. Oh, that's a very nice one. Oh, what have I chosen? Uh, well, you've chosen cod and vegetable parcels. I mean, it's got a very, it's got a nicer French name, hasn't it? Oh, gosh, yeah. it's a little papillote de cabillot. Keep saying that. <laughs> it just sounds better in French. Everything sounds better in French. It just is does. That, is that true? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, everything from food to um, uh, just to all sw- of it. Swearing. Yeah. Swearing is better in okay. French. Uh, so, how would one make a cod and vegetable parcel? And you see, this is something that I would never try that at home, actually, Michelle, just because I think that I need to have a special type of paper, or it might, you know, light itself yeah. in the oven or whatever. Well, I do. I, I mean, I use parchment or grease proof paper in that recipe but i do mention as well that it could use um, um foil um and uh, it's uh, yeah so you pre-cook some vegetables slice them up uh, and then put the cod in their little splash of booze or wine olive oil seasoning close up the parcel and pop it in the oven and, and that's uh, it and that is it and uh, yeah and and it just cooks all in its own juices it sounds lovely mm. and i bet it is uh, what is your ultimate go-to food what you know if, if you mm. were going to be at home of an evening and you're just like oh i need to just cheer my world up a little bit what is it yeah i mean comfort food for me is home cooking um and uh, I'm, oh gosh my mum used to make the most amazing shepherd's pie uh but at home when if, if i come back after a long shift at, at, at work I normally raid the fridge for cheese. Mm. I love cheese. Absolutely. I could live off cheese. And do you, I mean, let, can we be honest about the difference between French and English cheese, and British <laughs> cheeses, I should say? Because for me, the world of British cheese is an exceptional place. I don't mm. think French cheese is as good. <gasps> Shock. Horror. Well, cheese? have the French come round to my way of thinking. <laughs> There are some exceptionally good British cheese out mm. there. And and it's amazing how it has changed over the last 20 years, or, or even more than that. I mean, my, my dad and uncle, when they first opened the restaurant back in the 60s, I mean, OK, there was some good cheddar, and there was obviously Stilton, and there wasn't much else. Mm. And there was a lot of plastic cheese yeah, as yeah. well. Um, but now, look, it is incredible. I and mean, if you take the cheese board at Le Gavroche, we have 36 different cheese on our cheese board. Half of it, and sometimes more, is British. And that is incredible. Mm. The quality of British cheese is sensational. Yeah, well, that's good. Well said. Passionate stuff. Perfectly delivered. Thank you very much. But actually, when your family first came over here, Britain, I mean, let's be honest about it. I mean, I was born in 1964, and olive oil was something you got at the chemist, mm. wasn't it? I mean, I'm not. people think you're making that up. People do think you're making it, but that's, it's true. It was for dislodging uh, earwax. Absolutely. And, yeah. it, and it works. It does work, yes, absolutely. But do it in safe and controlled circumstances. So were you, I mean, your your family came over and offered Britain what? And what did they make of what the British were eating at the time? Yeah, so so dad and, uh, dad and mum arrived in the UK in uh, 1959. Um, and, uh, it, and I was born in 1960. So I, I, I was, I'm not just from French stock. I was actually made here as well. Yeah, which was, yeah, yeah, so I was made in the UK. But... Um, that's just, that's just an aside. <laughs> well, I don't need to know about that. Anyway, carry on. But, yeah, 
it's very difficult to describe the food scene back in the 60s. Uh, it, it was pretty dire. And uh, like you quite rightly said, olive oil was, was only you know, purchased in, uh, for medicinal reasons. But, um, yeah, and I think we take, we take it for granted now, this generation, and, and just to walk down a supermarket aisle and to be able to choose mm-hmm. from about 20 different kinds of olive oil. Um, and and it's, it's just there. There's even strawberries at Christmas, for God's sake. Mm. Don't buy strawberries at no, Christmas. No. But, you, but, you know, so it, it's, it, was, it was terrible. But my father and then my uncle, when he came over to join Dad, really, I think, saw that there was a, a huge opportunity here for a restaurant that would deliver great French gastronomy. And, uh, and they fought very hard and, and, and really tried their, their damnedest to make it, make it work. And they did. Michel Roux is our guest this afternoon. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family then and the dynamics within the family because obviously you've got three great chefs. You've got your dad, Albert, your uncle, Michel Roux Sr., you. How did that play out and was there ever too much competition between the three of you? <laughs> <laughs> too, too, many, uh, too many chefs spoil the broth, isn't it, yes. I think? <laughs> is that what you're alluding to? It's... Um, no, I mean, well, Christmas is always fun in, in the Rue household, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's... We, 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 I think all the Rues have got this sort of work ethic and, and we, we work, you know, really... We, we, we're not work shy. We, we really love what we're doing. Um, and, but we're all very individual and very unique or very different. My uncle was, a, was an artist um, and, and absolutely loved pastry. In fact, he, was, he won many competitions in his pastry work. Um, Dad, was, his food was more robust, <clears throat> more, more sort of gutsy, and um, uh, his sauces were legendary. And I like to think I've got a bit of both of them. Uh, and then, of course, there's my daughter as well, who's, who's got that lovely uh, finesse uh, and, uh, and love of Mediterranean food. So I think we're all, we're all very unique in our way. Um, and in our approach uh, to to what you know, the end product in the in the plate, um, but there is one thing that brings us all together, and I, I, as I said, it, it's our work ethic, but also our love of teaching and passing on our knowledge, and hopefully inspiring the next generation to come into our industry. And so, was there ever a time when you got fed up with being junior and decided to drop it? I mean, you're not <laughs> you're not Michel Rue Junior. So, now yeah, the, the story book. about Junior yes. is I tagged it on. Um, many, many, many years ago when, when Uncle Michel was still alive. Um, and I, I actually rented a flat off, um, off my uncle and uh, lived... Uh, so I was living basically in his, ha- in his premises. And I was getting um, letters uh, and bills and invoices uh, addressed to Michel Rue, and I opened them up, but they actually weren't, weren't for me. So... I had to tag on Junior because of that. But the, what really, really made me tip it into tagging on Junior was when I was getting his girlfriend's letters. Ooh la la. Yes, exactly. So I thought, this, <laughs> right. this is one step too far. I've got to tag on Junior on the end of that so that people can know who's who. Right. But you don't use it now. We don't, <laughs> no, we don't need to no, be doing now that. Now that Uncle sadly has passed away, I've dropped the Junior. Yeah. Uh, if you were a young, uh, young chef starting out now, would you want to have a restaurant? Because actually there are some oh, young chefs doing amazing yeah. things out of vans. Yeah. They're on the TikTok. Uh, they're all over the place you know they seem to have quite a freedom about them actually mm. 
Yeah, I think it's wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful, and uh, uh, to, to to see that street food and to to see pop up restaurants as well, short leases as well. So because there are maybe places are coming, leases are coming to an end, and so they can take over a, a premises just for maybe six months. Um, and and I think that's fabulous. I think what we're finding as well, the trend is that um, more and more chefs are opening up restaurants outside of the big city because the rents are cheaper. Um, and more affordable, should I say. Uh, and so that, that's really good as well, I think. Uh, so, yeah, the whole sort of hospitality industry is, is, uh, is changing. And, uh, yeah, I think we should encourage small local independence too. So, yeah, it's great if you come into town uh, and you're making a whole day out uh, of it, which is great. But do go and spend your pennies to the local independents. So uh, whether that's your butcher, your baker, your whatever, or your little restaurant, yeah, go and see that. And the world of apps makes that possible, doesn't it? You can just find so many different places to eat and to buy your food through that technology. Yeah, absolutely. And social social media has really, uh, I think, changed as well, changed uh, the, the food and the restaurant scene. Yep. I think Jane wanted to tap into your wisdom about some mackerel. Oh. Yes, there is a, a now. It looks relatively doable. Mm. It's a really simple it mackerel is. dish. Am I right? <laughs> is it doable? <laughs> Could I do it? One hundred percent. Okay, doable. You just buy a couple of fillets of mackerel, uh, and you can nowadays. You can get mackerel fillets from even supermarkets on sale. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you, uh, it's a very very quick marinade or marinade. Uh, yeah. how, how do you say that? Uh, it's une marinade. And it's only literally a, a five, ten minute marinade and pop it under the grill. And mackerel is good for you. It's a lovely oily fish. It's full of flavour mm. uh, and relatively good value. Um, and it makes a super, super lunch and serve it with a little salad. And I tell you, it is absolutely. And you've got some lovely sourdough bread there I can see on the yes. uh, in front of you well it's sourdough September Michelle did Which you know this uh, yes of yes, course of course you were of course <laughs> you were French um, learnt any bad habits from us last time I was in France I was slightly alarmed to see mm. they, they had ready meals in the supermarket yeah but they're not just ready meals either. they're pretty good ready meals well yeah um, but still I was quite shocked yeah well I suppose it's the onslaught of yeah ready meals fast food um, uh, there are yeah, McDonald's on every street corner in, in France. I mean, a long time ago, they, they used to burn them down. A famous uh, activist called José Beauvais uh, used to go around in the, 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 t- the cities up and down France and, and burn them down. Uh, he got put away for that, yes, by the way. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you take McDonald's, it's the, I think I'm not wrong in saying it's the second biggest market in the world. Really? Gosh, it is incredible. That is extraordinary, yeah. isn't it? In incredible. The land but have you been food. to a McDonald's in France? I haven't. Is it better than it is here? Well, they, they, some of them do do table service and they serve wine. No. Goodness. Mm. I'm heading for Waterloo. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be around for the second hour. Uh, I'll do it by myself. That's extraordinary. Uh, Michelle, what a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much indeed for coming in to Times Towers today. So Michelle Rue at Home uh, is the latest cookbook. I know that you're off on a small cruise uh, and you're leaving from Southampton tomorrow, Yes, correct? tomorrow morning I'm on the uh, Queen Mary 
Uh, I'm taking Le Gavroche at sea. And uh, so for five nights, we're going to be running the restaurant aboard. Uh, and I'll be doing some cooking demos and book signing and uh, uh, and hopefully managing to get a little bit of time off with Mrs. Rue as well. Yes, Mrs. Rue's cropped up a lot in this conversation. I'm <laughs> very much liking the sound of her. And sister, we are with her. Safe passage to you. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Michel Rue and his book is called At Home, My Favourite Recipes for Family and Friends. And actually loads of them are really simple. Some of them are a little bit more complex. There's uh, some beautiful pictures of some pastry where it would just, I know, be a disappointment if I ever tried to do, I think it's a pithivier or something oh, yeah. like that, because mm. it's just never going to look as good what, as the book um, does, Jane. Photography, food photography is an art, isn't it? It very it much is. It really is. It's a very special art form, that actually. I'm not sure photographers of food get the credit they deserve. I'd like someone to come round and photograph what I'm having for my tea tonight. Well, they've got lots of really amazing cheats, haven't they? Like using oh. mashed potato instead of ice cream oh, and they? stuff like that. Yep, and using hairspray on vegetables and all kinds of things. Right. Yeah. So maybe we should get a food photographer on and bust those myths. Let's do Should that. we do some taboo-breaking radio? <laughs> Let's do that. Now, I often like to bring in Bill in Heighton because I think he often, quite often, uh, hits the nail on the head. Hi, ladies. I've just bought a new electric car, costing me a lot more than the petrol version. I've also had a charger fitted to my property, and I'm really angry with those idiots in Downing Street. Right, Bill. See, there's Bill trying to do his best. He thinks he's, you know, doing what is expected of him. And then Rishi decides that perhaps we're going a little bit too quickly in that direction and we need to slow down. It's not going to help Bill, is it? He's splashed he's, out. He's committed. Yeah. Yep. Bill, I'm so sorry. Do keep in touch with us. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Jane and Fee. We post some quite random things up there sometimes. Sorry, Kate. We post up some really thoughtful content often. Uh, and also links to our interviews. And if you want to bung us an email, it's Jane and Fee at times.radio. And as Jane mentioned, our book club podcast drops tomorrow, your Friday bonus. So we very much hope you enjoy it. And if you took part, thank you. And actually, can I just mention one more email? Because Nafisa uh, has emailed to say, just to say, uh, Camilla, Queen Camilla, was dressed in what looked very much like an abaya, the long flowing dress Muslim women have been banned from wearing in schools and colleges in France for that banquet at Versailles. Yeah. It's a really good observation yes, from Nafisa. Yeah. And because it's, it was quite telling, wasn't it, that, uh, that Camilla had a really full length, all covered up robe and actually quite a lot of the other ladies attending the banquet uh you know were in pretty casual dress yes yeah and and just of uh, you know shoulderless stuff and short skirts and all of the rest of it mm. so if she was making a point nafisa has noticed yes she has um i suppose we don't know whether she was or not but you're right that's a very interesting observation and thank you for making it uh jane and fee at times.radio uh, we're back next week and uh, our guests will include well uh, let's just start on monday with jeffrey arch i, I really wish you the very best of luck I'm not here for the programme, so it's you and Jane Mulcairns. And actually, I wish Geoffrey Archer the best of luck. <laughs> Somehow, I think he'll manage. Uh, have a lovely couple of days.
We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much. Everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mm-hmm.